Hello, we're back. Welcome to another edition and another season of Comfortably Unnumb, the official podcast of the Umbrella Society. My name is Blake Anderson, the program manager here at the Umbrella Society and also the host of this podcast. Coming at you today from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. Yes, this is the first episode of season two and I couldn't be happier to get back to it. Uh, Over the summer break, I was absolutely astounded by the amount of people who continue to reach out about this podcast. Not only were folks listening, but the stories they heard were incredibly inspiring and impactful to them. Um, I've also been really happy with the diverse range of people listening to this cast, from clients to parents, loved ones, local politicians, caring members of our community. This podcast seems to have struck a chord and to have found an audience. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening. I don't think it's because of me. It's definitely because of the stories from the brave individuals who have come on this program. Um, so inspirational. And uh, we're spreading the word of recovery, and I'm really proud about that. So with that, let's get cracking with season two. I guess this is coming at a really great time for our organization, as the month of September is Recovery Month. For the second year in a row, Umbrella Society, led by our executive director, Charlene Law, has commenced with a recovery campaign, getting the word of recovery out to the world as we highlight individuals who have found success in their own journeys. We have gone big this year uh, with inspirational members of the campaign showcased on buses, on all of our social media platforms, and on this podcast. So the first member of our recovery campaign 2023 cohort is an amazing individual by the name of Connor. Uh, Now, when I first started at the Umbrella Society five years ago, just a little over five years ago, one of my first few shifts was uh, shadowing Connor as he worked in both our ER program at the Royal Jubilee Hospital, as well as community outreach. Uh, Connor has this calm demeanor and an unbelievable gift of getting through to folks struggling with substance use challenges. Uh, He gives them hope and determination to make a change. Uh, Connor's recovery journey is special in the sense that he had the courage to address his substance use and mental health challenges at such an early age. When Connor entered recovery in earnest, he did a great deal of his uh, early recovery work at Foundation House and became, I believe, the youngest senior resident that we've ever had. Uh, Connor used his personal experience to help uh, relate to those struggling when he did enter the field, and he found vocation in the ability to give back and uh, you know, work in uh, recovery. Connor has since left the Umbrella Society to uh, further his career, but his recovery is solid. His gratitude for sobriety and for those who'd helped him along the way is as strong as ever. So I feel that Connor is the perfect candidate for a recovery campaign and for kicking off this new season of Comfortably Unnumb. Okay, Connor, it's good to see you there, brother. Hey, thanks, Blake. It's good to see you as well. Yes, yeah, nice to get you back through the umbrella doors. Um, you know, for those who don't know, yeah, Connor worked for us for a long time. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, nice to have you, you know, back kicking around. Uh, when I started in this field, I actually trained with you and, and picked up a ton of tricks from you and tips and really learned a lot. And a lot of my style that was developed was actually, you know, based on watching your approach um you know in this work so uh, i really appreciate that and oh it's so, a real honor to hear that thank yeah, you no, yeah no and, and it's nice to to come you know it, it's funny when i was thinking about it, i haven't heard your story you know i there's a lot of people that we've worked with that i know their story a little bit more intimately and and just right. you know chatting before this I, I realized yeah i'm i don't really know a lot about you know your past i've just you know known you uh, in that professional realm. So, mm. uh, you know, it's really kind of a good experience for me to, to dive back as well. And, um, you know, as I was, I was talking at, at the intro, 
this is, um, you know, recovery month for us, you know, where we're really promoting recovery and, and your, your face is on a, on a bus and, <laughs> and, uh, really, you know, uh, the face of, of recovery in, in this town. And, and, uh, I think you're a really great ambassador for that. And, uh, yeah. So, um, anyways, I, I really appreciate you being on here. Thank you. Um, and you know, as, as where I usually like to start is, is to dive back a little bit and, uh, you know, I, I would really love to hear about your recovery journey, For sure. but I do like to hear about, you know, what led up to that and, and what your experience was like on the early stages of, of you know, with substance use and, and when it became problematic and uh, yeah. you know, everyone's story is a little different. Yeah, so. for sure. So um, again, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, seeing your growth in, in, in Umbrella as well has just been amazing to witness. And, cool. um, you know, like the Evan and, and Chris that came before me, like learning from them just really helped me in my career path as well. And we'll talk right. about that a bit later on. But, uh, yeah, things are coming up, you know, bus. I'm on a bus. I'm on a podcast now, you know, right. next stop, uh, Hollywood. Who knows? Yeah, there you no. go. <laughs> um, but uh, I appreciate being on. So, yeah, we'll dive into it. So. Back like when I was pretty young, um, in elementary school, actually, I had struggled. Um, I went through some like traumatic, uh, events like with, right. um, that were in sex, like sexual nature. Right. And mm -hmm. so it, during that time, uh, I think I was in grade five and, mm -hmm. uh, that was when I first sort of knew that I had issues in terms of mental health and addiction because, the behavior that I was like participating in, um, was bringing me like feelings of shame and guilt. Um, right. but I would still engage in them, like even after feeling those like intense feelings of shame and guilt. And this is right. at such a young age, right? It's a like, grade right. five. So at that time I didn't know who to talk to. Um, you know, I was scared to talk to my parents about it and, uh, I, I didn't have any like responsible adults like that I thought I could share this with. And so what happened was I internalized all this stress into my nervous system and I eventually like developed like, uh, OCD type traits and some okay. like germaphobic. I was washing my hands obsessively. Right. I would have to say things to myself like three times and get it perfect or I'd have to repeat it. Okay. Just little like rituals. Like, yeah. uh, I can't remember if I did the light switches or anything like that, but it's a lot for like somebody in grade five to like sure. to go through and to cope with. Right. And did you have any, uh, like understanding of it at the time or were you, you know, was it like, you know, something that you recognized was, was maybe now mm. looking back on it, I do recognize it as like a powerlessness because mm. of that, that immense shame and guilt and not wanting to participate in these behaviors, but ending up repeating them, right. um, for a period of time, uh, until I got, you know, to the point where I was just so stressed out that eventually I did have to tell my mom like what was going on. And she was really concerned for me, you know, sending me to counselors and, um, things of that nature. And then by the time I got into middle school, which was like grade seven, um, you know, just like the, the, the social need to try and fit in, there's a hierarchy at social hierarchy at school, mm -hmm. you know, try to be popular and things like that. And my older brother, um, he was like sort of experimenting with, with substances, like mostly marijuana and things, things like that. Right. And so mm -hmm. I was always trying to fit in with that older crowd. And, mm -hmm. um, I ended up, you know, smoking, smoking pot and, that for whatever reason i think helped um 
bring a sense of comfort like and and it, it started to get rid of the, those ocd traits and things like that it just it it brought like that feeling of um safety and and you know at that time it was still fun like right. hanging out with friends and and smoking right. pot and you know getting up to trouble and right. things like that and seemed like a normal progression at this point yeah exactly yeah. and so um unfortunately like <laughs> we all tried to grow up really quickly. And, um, so there's like alcohol involved, you know, in grade seven, um, mushrooms, like ecstasy, like those types Mm -hmm. of substances. And it was all recreational at that point, but the weed was constant. So I was smoking marijuana like every day. Um, and so I think that, again, that really numbed out any of those, um, mental health, uh, issues at the time. And so that carried on throughout middle school, daily use into high school you know I started selling pot as a means to you know have my own supply um and also like feeling that connection like people were coming to me wanting drugs and so I I felt like wanted I felt like kind of you know popular and and so you know a little bit entrepreneurial at the time as well and it was very like low um low level dealing stuff but um parties things like that you know i wasn't much of a partier at the time like i I didn't i didn't really delve into the world of alcohol but i think that was because my marijuana use was so heavy um so a lot of a lot of times i would just go home and, and and light up and and not go to the the weekend parties and things like that um but that started to drive like the isolation and and um just going to that well of comfort uh too often and it i think sort of towards the end of my high school years um my parents split up so they they split up and uh, i was in grade 12 and they're you know they during those years my parents knew that i had issues with substances mm-hmm. um both my parents actually have experience in recovery um, they met in Narcotics Anonymous, okay, so right. you know I'm product of a 13th step. So. Right. Um, but uh, I think that it, you know, uh, was a genetic. I think that it is partially genetic and, and partially due to like the trauma that I experienced, like when I was younger. Right. This uh, addictive trait, and so they knew that I had an issue, and you know they weren't getting along, and then they ended up, you know, splitting up. Like I said, in grade 12, and and that's when it started to not really become fun anymore. Like I knew that Mm -hmm. I was medicating with it. Um, it was an escape and I was starting to feel the pressures of, you know, society in terms of like, what am I going to do for a career? Um, all these types of things and relationships and the bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Issues start, start coming up and the bigger questions. Yeah. Yeah, Like, do I go to university? Do I, uh, you know, what type of job do I want? And, and, uh, again, sort of dealing with the, the stress and the, the stuff from my parents splitting, you know, saying, Oh, well, it's, you know, as long as they're happy, I'm okay. Where it's like, in actuality, it was very hard right like, for me to go through right, right. and so instead uh, of facing those emotions it was more just like yeah everything's fine and yeah use more yeah yeah and i think my parents too like they probably acknowledged that and so i was able to like get away with more in terms mm-hmm. of my substance use um uh, living with my dad and things because it's just like it's a hard subject for them to approach it's like just leave connor alone let him do right. his thing right. 
Um, eventually they had enough of it though. Right. My dad is, you know, active member, um, in recovery and has plenty of years of, uh, sobriety. He got clean well before, um, he had me and my brother. And so I think it was hard on him to see me go through all this, um, tumultuous, just like life experience. And so he was like, you gotta, you gotta start to buck up, you know, you abide by the rules or you gotta move out. And so, um, at that time, I sort of lost the this like important relationship of my life with a high school sweetheart, and I thought, well, if I just move, you know, then I'll it'll solve all my problems. I go get right. a job in Alberta, and uh, and I won't smoke weed anymore, and and right. life will get back on track. So run running away like location wise, it happens a lot, right? <laughs> geographical like, oh, I just, cure. I just changed to nothing. Yeah, I'll yeah. leave all my problems behind. Yeah. yeah, I remember my mom saying to me before I left, she's like, you know, wherever you go, there you are, and. I was like not ready to hear it at the time, but so I went through that process and, um, that started, I started to drink more at that time. You know, I was, uh, using cocaine, like 21 out in Alberta, like babysitting, like 50 year old drywallers with that were alcoholics and, mm. and I was out there by myself. And so my use started to ramp up. Uh, I was partying more um, getting into like toxic relationships. And that's one thing that I noticed was like when you're feeling so down and and negative and, and sort of depressed on the inside, you, you tend to start to attract those things externally as well. And so the women that were coming into my life, you know, they, they were struggling with their own mental health issues and substance use issues. And, um, there was an event when I was in Alberta where I, I was dating someone and she like, stole like a bunch of my stuff and then had some guy when I kicked her out when I confronted her she had some guy try and jump me like outside of the job site and so there was all this just like unmanageability and and more trauma just added onto my my plate and I was like I gotta get home or I'm gonna like I'm not gonna last out here right? right so I ended up coming home and started to you know, my parents were like really motivating me to go to, to, to meetings to, to get my act together. And so I thought, okay, like I'll, I'll give it a shot. You know, I was like, maybe I'll get my relationship back that I was so depressed over um, previously. And, and maybe I'll, you know, impress my parents and whatnot. And so I went and I heard, I heard people like address me as the new person at the meeting. And, um, nothing was really sticking though. So I I did stop my substance of choice at the time, which was the the marijuana, which was big for me, but I started drinking on weekends and, um, it came to a point in time where my, I was noticing while I was drinking, it's like, why am I so happy when I'm, when I'm drinking, like I'm motivated to like do chores and do these things. And when I'm not, I'm all just like sort of down and, and depressed. And my dad was like, well, he's like, you shouldn't really be taking recovery time if you're, if you're still drinking, like, right. and I said, okay, well, like I'll show you. And then I started smoking weed again. And, and so that, that continued on again for a while. Um, I, I, I moved into a new construction job and I think I had a day surgery for, for something. And then they prescribed me T3s. And then being like the resourceful addict that I was, I looked up how to get the most out of those 
T3s and um, there's a whole process. I'm not going to go into it on here, but, but, uh, and then I've discovered this whole new world of painkillers. And and so I'm researching like, you know, what other painkillers are out there. So I hear about oxycodone and content and, and the likes. And so I, I talked to my couple of my construction crew guys and, and said, have you heard of this? Like, what, what do you think? And the one crew that I was on said, don't do it. You know, it'll ruin your life, right. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then the other crew I was on was like, oh, yeah, like, I know what those are about and I can get them for you. And I was like, oh, right. Being the, the having to learn the hard way, I, I, I decided to, to try it. And um, the first time that I tried it, all of those uh, issues of like mental health, depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, was just like gone like that in an instant just from right. doing a little bit of that substance right. this if, instant relief yeah yeah, right. yeah my my mind shut down uh like how I, I was i'm always like overthinking overanalyzing things and so it quieted in my mind i felt warm i felt like just confident i felt like this is i, I remember saying to myself this is what normal people probably feel like all the time and right. And so, of course, you know, when you experience something that powerful, it's like, you know, you're not going to just do it once. Right. <laughs> you, know right. I mean? you got that instant relief once. Yeah, that's yeah. not, yeah, you're not yeah. going to leave it there. Yeah. Right. So that continued on while I was working. And um, over time, it got more and more expensive. Um, I started to lose a ton of weight. I felt like I looked good, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, other people were noticing. Um, <laughs> and again, there was there was still something like even though it cured all a lot of that stuff for me like there was still something missing it felt like and mm-hmm. um and and the relationships i was in were still negative sort of toxic relationships and it, eventually it led to you know me being out of money um a couple of the like girls that i had dated around that time uh, they ended up both passing away from drug overdoses of heroin. Um, this was after I got clean, but, um, around that time when I was dating them, uh, it was, it was just getting really bad. And so I had a choice. I, you know, I ran out of money. Um, I remember a couple of guys on the construction crew, like when I was going through withdrawals, um, offering to, to bring me more and, uh, I remember feeling this feeling of whenever I had the dealer coming or, or my workmates coming to bring me more drugs, I, my mood would just skyrocket. Like I would feel like a kid on Christmas morning. Um, and just remembering how sad that felt, um, to think about. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I was out of drugs, went through withdrawal, absolute horrible withdrawals, you know, sweats, like, um, shaking, you know, you're seeing colors, like lethargic, uh, suicidal, um, you know, shivering. I would, I would sit in the shower and like try and get warm. And then mm-hmm. I'd go back to bed and I'd be shivering 10 seconds later. I'd jump back in the shower and like pretty much use up the right. whole water tank. I'm sure right. my neighbors love me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I didn't know who to reach out to. I did reach out to my cousin who uh, I knew was in recovery. He had gone to Cedars uh, Treatment Center in Cobble Hill, and then he had attended Foundation House 
through Umbrella. And so I reached out to him and I said, uh, like, this is what's happening. I really don't want to tell my mom about it. And he's the first thing he said was tell your mom what's going on. (laughs) I totally get it out there. So I, I, uh, I reached out to my mom. Um, and, and my cousin said, reach out to Charlene, who was his outreach worker at the time and, and get set up with an outreach worker through umbrella. And so that's what I did. Um, I, uh, my parents came and, you know, took me to a meeting when I was feeling really rough. Um, I was uh, put in contact with Charlene, set up a, an outreach appointment. And yeah, that's where source all started in terms of the recovery journey, right. like the actual serious uh, you, you journey. Hit, you hit that bottom and you knew you had to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And, right, mm-hmm. so, that's the, so the first time that was you were doing it for you, you weren't doing it for anybody else and no one else was telling you what to do at that point yeah i had hit the end of the road i i some people say like oh they, it's a spiritual awakening or it's a surrender or um you know something of that nature and it was definitely all of those things for me like mm-hmm. I, I reached out to a higher power and i said like please if you can get me through this like you know i will i will do better i'd spent so many years self-medicating trying to numb all that stuff that i went through and I knew how that was going to play out. Like it was just more of the same. And so I decided like, I have a few options here. It's like, you know, suicide, go on the street, you know, mm. robbing and stealing to get, get a fix or, or get, or try recovery. Cause mm. I really hadn't given it a shot. And I started smoking pot when I was 12 years old. Right. right. So I was like now 23. And, uh, so yeah. So yeah. So then I uh, met with Charlene, um, she was like, yeah, there's a spot at Foundation House coming up in a few weeks if you want it. I said, I would love to. Um, I was just committed. I was ready to do whatever it, whatever it took and uh, started going to meetings daily, um, did all the stuff that they recommend, you know, doing, doing reflective work through uh, analyzing your life and, and whatnot and, and getting a mentor and having them help you through that process and mm-hmm. – and uh, yeah, cool. And so you're, you know, first first step, and you you said pretty much willingly, uh, I'll I'll go to you know the second stage recovery house, yeah. the foundation house. Did you know much about it? I mean, this is your first venture really into you know a real supportive environment, and also going from isolating. You're now you're going uh, signing up to go to a place Literally with twelve other yeah, men. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So how does that how does that play out? Yeah, it was. Uh, at that point, like I said, I was just willing and ready to do whatever it, it took. I knew that it was life or death for me at that point. And so it wasn't very hard to convince me uh, to go. Uh, there there probably was a, a little bit of apprehension, just nervousness of, of like like you said, being in my own place to, to living in a shared room with some mm-hmm. stranger, right? And right. so like the first night, I think I laid there like, what the fuck? What have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. And then... Uh, yeah, I just I think human beings like we're meant to connect with one another and mm-hmm. and you know after the years of isolation it it was a bit of a transition but ultimately that connection is it, it does start to come more naturally and and uh, I thrive off of it and so it didn't take long for me to feel at home there. Right. I started to make connections with the guys living there. Um 
and and all the outside uh, folks that were involved in in recovery meetings and stuff like that. I started to build a strong community uh, of support, and yeah, like doing the 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 weekly house meetings, um, helping out with the chores, you know, all that stuff just really helped keep me on track in terms of structure and um i could see like uh a future for myself Mm -hmm. um at that point a day at a time right and uh that wasn't something that i'd ever experienced um in addiction um that's those are the things that were stressing me out it was like what am i going to do with my life right and so my perspective you like shifted like um in that moment of surrender, it was like a giant pendulum shift. And then slowly after that, it continued to change, uh, over time with the more, uh, recovery, uh, more clarity comes with that. Right. And, mm. um, you know, more serenity, um, you start to develop and incorporate more, you know, spiritual, um, values into your life. And, right. and so, it happened all really quickly. Like, um, I felt good. I was doing service work. I had a home group. Um, I was, uh, doing things in the community. Like, um, you know, Charlene got me to attend like a community volunteer workshop and I attended that. And then, uh, eventually an opportunity came up for me to become like the house manager like the senior resident of the house right where i was able to uh do some more chores and stuff and and get some some help with rent and it felt really good to give back to the the guys uh at the house as well they would check in with me and uh talk to me about whatever issues they were going through and and so that evolved into being when i moved out after a year of 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 clean time uh, an opportunity came up for me to work weekends at the house. And so keeps the continuity and connection going at, yeah, with the house. Yeah. Yeah. keeps the connection going. And, and like I said, guys would check in with me and, and tell me what was going on for them. And Mm -hmm. I was being able to be in more of a supportive role at that point because I felt like I had gotten the tools that I needed Mm -hmm. and the foundation and and my recovery to be able to give back. Um, and so that, yeah, that was, it's pretty cool. I mean, to, you're pretty young at this, you know, like foundation houses, you know, they're, it's kind of 18 to 65. So, you know, we've had, we've, that's, it's pretty cool that someone as young as you yeah. came in and took a leadership role like that. Right. How, how did that feel? It, you know? it felt great. I felt great. I think, uh, Terry, when he first met me, he thought there was no way I was going to last more than Terry, the house Terry, counselor, he's the at, counselor uh, there. At, yeah. Uh, F house. There's no way he's going to last a week. And, um, yeah, for whatever reason, I was just, the stubborn the stubbornness and the dedication, like um, I was able to put th- that many days back to back and it, it felt great to be able to get an opportunity. And so I see that a lot now with the guys um, that work at Umbrella, the, the, the men and women that work at Umbrella. It's like if they've been, you know, struggling and getting support through outreach workers, you know, there's opportunities for them or if they've lived at the recovery houses, there's opportunities for them to continue to develop in their recovery by giving back and, and getting employment, gainful employment through umbrella, which is so, right. which is so great. Um, right. So yeah, you started, you know, yeah, you got, you know, got your foot in the door in, in this field through being the, the weekend, you know, staff at, at foundation house. And yeah. 
where did that develop from there? I mean, uh, and and how did you feel about it at the time? It's you know, it's a. I always think it's it's because there's this giving back piece, but it's also it's taking on a lot of people's um, you know issues and mm. struggles, and mm. and then you know I always I always have so much admiration being able to balance your own recovery with. Right. You know, so how was how was that transition? What did you do? Like, where did, when did you where did you start? I th- I think that like the time spent at the house really prepared me for that because you know with recovery, like folks don't always get it on the first try, and so um, some residents would relapse, and mm-hmm. then we would come together as as a unit, as a cohesive unit, and discuss like, you know, do we want this resident to come back after they've done detox? Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us went through feelings of like. Um, either betrayal or just like, uh, anger or even sometimes jealousy that this person could use and, um, and it could, and we couldn't or whatever. Right. right. It's just the whole dysfunctional, uh, kind of mind of a, of a, of an addict. But, um, so, so it, it enabled me to have some skills when I was working with the clients, uh, once I'd moved out as, as the weekend guy. And so, um, I think I reached out to Charlene, uh, and, and asked her if there was any opportunities for me to do a ride along with uh, Chris or Evan um, who were doing outreach at the time and uh, an opportunity came up. And so I jumped on it and mm-hmm. went with them to meet clients and community and buy them coffee and just see where they're at and, you know, how we could help. And it was a really powerful experience. Um, I remember thinking like, this is amazing. Like, to to work in this field to give give back and to get paid for it like sign me up you know what right. i mean like right. um and so the ride-alongs went well um i actually went away for a little bit to do some school uh in legal administration but when i completed that uh, i had gotten an offer at, at, a, at a law firm to, to work but charlene had reached out and said uh you know there's a position for you here at umbrella if you want it and and i said uh yes please you know yeah. law firm is great but it's not this it's is not vocational this, work you're yeah. kind of looking for yeah. yeah it's not doesn't give you that same connection and and that purpose that um that working with with people does and and that are struggling and so i made that made that jump and um it was it was an amazing experience i you know uh, started off with i think there was only like seven or eight staff at that time with umbrella mm-hmm. and um, I did more ride-alongs with Evan and Chris and I picked stuff from them, like their approaches with client work and mm-hmm. applied that with my own little spin to it. And, you know, I just found that connecting with clients, um, on a deeper level and, you know, problem solving in a sense of just like, you know, trying to get them the support they needed as fast as possible was really, um, it was really like, an area where I felt like I could apply myself, um, fully. Um, and so, so yeah, it was, it was a good fit. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, jumping on in and, and starting to, you know, connect, you were working outreach for a while. And then I know you, uh, started up this new, you were the first, uh, umbrella worker to start working in the, the emergency room at, at our local hospital at Royal Jubilee. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a, a different killer fish and now all of a sudden you know and, and i always look at it as you know when you're meeting people in community these are folks that have reached out to umbrella to say hey i'm i'm needing support 
um, there's that, uh, you know, acceptance and, and there's that desire to make mm. the change. Mm. All of a sudden we're going into the emergency room where pretty much anybody who's coming in, uh, with substance use challenges, right. you're going to go and talk to It's a, it's a little bit of a, a different, different <laughs> field. How, how was, how was that experience for you? Yeah. I feel like I've gained the skills now to like, do like, um, uh, like door to door, like cold calling, <laughs> like type business because yeah, yeah I, I would just like go into hospital rooms where clients are laid up and explain like what my role was and to just check in and see like are you you know are you doing okay like are you getting support in the community like do you need a coffee right. can I get you a blanket like these types of things and and uh sort of just selling like the idea of the possibility of change you know changing mm -hmm. whatever brought them into the hospital and you know, it was a lot of folks with, with alcohol use disorder and, and substance use disorder and um, being able to connect with them on a, on a deeper level and just to let them know that they're not alone. And, and, you know, even if they weren't ready to make change that day, that they had a number that they could call if, if they ever decided that they wanted support in that avenue. And it, it took some time to build my name in the emergency department, but... Um, you know, and build rapport with those clients, but sometimes they would come back and then on the next, uh, admission to hospital, they would, they would be ready to, to implement some change. And mm -hmm. so, um, it was very rewarding. I've heard it like said in meetings before, it's like the highest level of service work you can do is like work in a hospital or something like that, of that right. nature, because, um, it's just such a divine sort of moment where, you know, the person might have just hit that bottom and, and right. that's a good, like a crucial time, crucial opportunity to step in and give them the help, help that they need. Right. Instead of just being admitted to hospital, getting seen by a doctor who might not believe what you're going through is even related to, you know, your substance use or, or right. writing it off and saying like, Oh, you just need to get sober without actually giving them any proper right. like resources or support. Right. Yeah. And so like being able to advocate for clients and, and, you know, advocating for the hospitals to keep them and taking them over to the detox and putting in all these referrals for treatment while they're there so that if they do leave, you know, these things are still on the pipeline for them. Should they return, right. you know, there might be a bed available, maybe right. not this time today, but maybe the next time you come in or, right. um, so yeah, it was, it, it just, it helped so much in my, recovery working with people um in the early days and and giving back that way so I, I i highly recommend um for anybody that's uh you know got some time under their belt if they don't know what they they want to do like maybe consider giving back in, in a way like through outreach or right something similar well you know and i i think that you know you you developed this skill and and when you know of being able to plant that seed and do it in a way that was not you know, uh, that was genuine, mm. you know what I mean? Like mm. you said a couple of times, like connecting on a deeper level, you know, and I think that was definitely a skill set, uh, you know, uh, of yours or something that just came naturally to you. And obviously what you went through had, had a lot to do with that. Um, but it was, you know, it really was, that was when we started realizing through your role specifically, you know, and, and, you know, we have a role to it, you know, our roles in the hospital, just how impactful that was, you mm -hmm. know, every time you, it, we saw somebody, you know, get into recovery, coming to, through the house. It's always like, Oh, I talked to Connor, you know, I was, <laughs> I was in the hospital and Connor came to see me and, and your name started coming up a ton. And I think 
like you say, it is that critical time where maybe this is the bottom and you know and even if it's the seed that's planted right. man that might be that pushing towards the conviction you know mm-hmm. and um and it's not like you know I, I think there's always this thought that it's 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 definitely not a <laughs> you, you a lot of times you don't see that right. right you know and and yeah you know that's what i was always you know really impressed that you had this uh pace to you where you were putting in the time we don't we don't always see that success or that moment that mm. moment might be recognized months down the road right. at the time someone might tell you to fuck off but yeah, that yeah. it might have planted that seed in their head right and uh your consistency with it and your your care was was something that was was pretty impressive which again i think speaks to umbrellas like you know the ability that clients can follow up with an outreach worker um they don't just go to the hospital and then get sent home and then they have mm-hmm. nobody that they can talk to about their issue it's like making that connection with them allows you to build that bridge and let them know that hey like whenever you want to talk like i'm here for you and so you know we would have i remember like you coming to the hospital and shadowing with me and we'd go see a client and they'd they'd say like no like i don't i don't want your support and i say well you know that's okay but just take a card and Mm -hmm. if you decide down the road that you want to have a coffee like and then they would call they would call they would call like so and sometimes the most unlikely person too. Yeah. Like that person's never going to call. Yeah, yeah. That being the one that's that yeah. made the biggest impact on. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It was really, really cool. And, and lots of powerful moments working at the hospital. Um, yeah. And then I guess you kind of got to a point where your, you know, professional journey was, was going to go up and, and, you know, you thought to go back to school. So that's what you've kind of been doing the last couple of years. What, what, what has it been like for you? Yeah. Yeah. I will say that, um, you know, this type of work is, uh, it it can be stressful. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing people laid up in the hospital and, you know, struggling with, with all types of health issues and, you know, hearing trauma stories and stuff like over a a prolonged amount of time, it can take a toll on you. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, we see a lot of successes, but at the same time, like clients, do sometimes pass away and mm-hmm. um you know in a hospital setting it's, it's probably loaded, more often yeah. than 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 not and so than not in the hospital i should say and and so i i felt like i needed to change change the pace up and and so going back to school was uh, again sort of a natural progression um i was able to apply for a program where you can apply five years of lived experience to it to knock mm-hmm. off two years of school. Oh. And so that, that was wonderful. And so I jumped on that and it's a, it's a bachelor's in um, justice studies at Royal roads. And so uh, I'm almost done. And mm-hmm. once I get my degree, I, I will probably be applying for a probation uh, officer position through the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, I, I think a, a pretty, uh, you know, I think actually that's a, a great space. You coming from where you've come from with your with your background, then with your professional background as well. Um, you know, having that compassionate lens to that kind of work is so needed. Yeah. And I've actually been I've been really impressed with our You know, I, I think there's a lot of probation officers now. I, you know, working in, in our corrections program and having to deal with so many correction or yeah. uh, probation officers. I kind of had a bit of an impression that, you know, um, there, there, there wasn't a lot of compassion there and to see that, wow, these are some caring people that, you know, a lot of times, man, they were integral for this kind of team support of an individual and to see that success. So I think that's, that's a really cool, uh, field to, to jump into. 
Yeah, for for sure. And I should say that um, when I went back to school, I ended up applying for a job uh, through legal aid uh, as a criminal. I became a criminal navigator. And so it's very similar to some of the outreach work that I was doing um, with umbrellas, um, connecting with clients that are in, in and out of custody and referring them to treatment centers, you know, detox, uh, other resources, uh, counseling and, 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 and things like that. And so I, I gained a newfound respect for, you know, the corrections program that umbrella r- runs because I, I didn't have any idea. Like, uh, we sort of all have our own positions within the organization, but right. working with clients at the uh, correctional facilities has been uh, really cool and and so needed. Like mm-hmm. to have you guys in Wilkinson meeting with clients and doing referrals and stuff is just it's it's so needed because it's another area like the hospital where they just fall through the cracks. There's no follow up plans for them when they're released. Like yeah. and it's like yeah. you expect you expect them to to fare well in those right. those situations. <laughs> like it's not. No, I, I, I hear you. I mean, that was the biggest eye opener for me doing that program was I always just thought that there would be some continuum of care. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Someone's yeah. getting released. What are we going to yeah. do with this person? Where are they, where are they going to land? Um, you know, how are they going to be supported? And I was, I was blown away just by the way the system was set up. You have caring people in the center, but as soon as they leave those doors, mm. they're out of the record and they're off yeah. of the, the caseload and there's not that transition. Mm-hmm. And it always blew me away. If someone is, leaving and we're just giving them a bus ticket and a street survival guide and their history they have a history of substance abuse and you know trauma uh you know how are we expecting success here right we have they have nowhere to land yeah sometimes they don't even have the right clothes because it came in the summertime and they're leaving in the winter yeah and they how, probably how think do we... like nobody gives a fuck about me anyway. So right. like I'll just go back to doing what I was doing before, right? So yeah. Yeah. again, having that bridging that gap and, mm-hmm. and letting folks know that, that you're there for them and you right. know, whether they get it up the first time they leave the, the, the prison or, or, or the next time or you know, and three times after mm-hmm. that, like they know that there's someone that they can call right. um, for that support whenever they're ready for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, you know, kind of getting into the, the system navigation kind of side of things and, you know, you know, our systems, so you're, you're somebody who has experienced, you know, uh, you know, substance use issues. Yes. Um, you're somebody, uh, who has helped countless people, you know, navigate the system. I, you know, I thought you were one of the most skilled at getting through these kind of gaps in care and getting people, you know, as timely support as needed. What, what have you seen as, as being the biggest challenge? So somebody entering recovery and, and with support or without, what's, what's the biggest challenge for an individual? In terms of like corrections or just in, in general? In like, general, yeah. Um, again, for myself, like I, I had this like, sort of uh, surrender moment of um, spiritual awakening or divine intervention or whatever you want to call it. So it, it's hard to say. I, I think what's most needed is like to have these supports available for people when they're ready, when they've hit their, you know, bottom, um, to, to know that there's places that they can go and, right. and, and resources that, yeah, are available for them to, to get the support that they need. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of complex issues, 
uh, in terms of addictions and mental health and homelessness. And, you know, we're seeing uh, like the rise of like harm reduction strategies and, and then you sort of have like the two worlds that, that, that collide in a sense with abstinence and, and harm reduction. And I think that it's such a multifaceted issue. Um, and there's so many different siloed organizations like working on in different areas of it mm-hmm. that it's not working very well at, at the moment. And right. I would like to see more collaboration between the two worlds right, a coordinated effort to see yeah. like what's working and what what's not working and and like you know where's the data and and the statistics in terms of what's working with harm reduction and what's not and right. you know um we need more abstinence focused supports because right. it's like we're severely outnumbered compared to the amount of money that's going into harm reduction in the province and um the opiate crisis you know you know, abstinence is one of the greatest forms of harm reduction. Like if mm-hmm. you think about it that way, it is harm reduction, like being abstinent, like, um, but I, I do believe because it's such a complex issue, like there really needs to be more discussions, um, between the harm reduction workers and, and organizations and the abstinence based ones. Right. I, you know what? You're totally right. It's, it's how polarized it is where both are needed. Mm-hmm. Right. And right mm-hmm. now it's kind of like if you start pumping recovery and abstinence, it's almost like you're saying, you know, it's taken as, oh, I don't care about harm reduction right. or the others, you know, whereas really it is a continuum of care it and is. you need to keep people safe, but we need to, you know, so I, I think yeah. it, I think it's that, um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. It's, mm-hmm. it's become so polarized yes. where, Hey, can we coordinate the two together and yeah. get rid of what's not working out of, each of the, the aspects and, sure. and creates more balance. For yeah. Sure. For sure. You know, we were talking about that, uh, you know, a, a lot about the, the, and you kind of said it right now with getting people the care mm-hmm. they need mm-hmm. when, when, when they're, they're ready. ready. Yeah. <laughs> and the hardest part is, you know, that, you know, um, that sometimes can be a pretty small window and yeah. we, we want to be able to hit that. Right. And it's hard to, uh, I make people s- wait exactly and and i see it all the time like when i was at umbrella but also at legal aid with this corrections position as um i'm referring clients to the mainland all the time because we don't have enough treatment centers uh here on the island and it, it's it's unfortunate because you know sending somebody who wants to go to treatment to a facility that's downtown east side is not always a great option but a lot of the times they want to get out out of jail and um the only way for them to get out is to attend a treatment center and so you want their first you want to hope that at least the first attempt that they would end up in a place that's going to be conducive to their their recovery. their recovery but it's not always the case Probably and so, in their community <laughs> and so that might sour could sour their opinion on it in the future right and so i think mm. it's unfortunate that there isn't enough facilities here on the island that are abstinence focused and i really would like to see the government come together and do get get those facilities here right yeah no, absolutely brother yeah yeah, you know, it definitely at least uh, in, increase the increase the chances, right, of of success, yes. right, and, and I think that's yeah. so we're talking about, you know, it's and you said it before, it's not some, it's not the first kick of the can for a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, but we got to give people that opportunity, right, and we got to, you know, at least try to set them up for success, right, so hundred percent, hundred percent. 
Well, listen, I, you know, I, I think the, the work you're doing is, is amazing. And I think uh, if, if you do continue down this path and end up, you know, in probation, I think you're going to be a, an unbelievable and, and compassionate uh, worker, and uh, which is what's needed. And, and like I said, I've, you know, I, I really admire, you know, the work you've done and, and, you know, hearing, hearing your story too, and the amount of work you've done on yourself, you mm. know, uh, especially, you know, at such a young age, I, we don't see that a lot. We see, you know, a lot of people take so much longer to kind of make right. that stab. So I, I really admire the fact that you had the courage to do that at a, at a young age and, mm. you know, still kind of, you know, in your twenties start to figure out who you still are. I got right? plenty of time to burn it all down. I, no, <laughs> realistically. Yeah, no, I appreciate those words a lot. And it's amazing to see like how far umbrellas come like from, from when I started having seven people to like, how many staff do you guys have it's now? About 70. About yeah. 70, yeah. Staff, seven so, to 70. So yeah. that's amazing. So. And, uh, yeah, I keep doing what you guys are doing. You know, it, it definitely made such a profound impact on my life and, um, it has ripple effects, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people that come in, get, get help that they need from umbrella, get opportunities to work, then they give back. It's like that, that ripple effect really makes a, makes a a difference in our community. And, and yeah, cool, man. Yeah. And like I said, we still have people come in through the doors and be like, is Connor still work here? (laughs) My my work was Connor, you know? So, you know, you've left an impression on the community, man. And, and you continue to, and, and yeah, proud of you. And, And I'm glad you're, uh, you know, you're sticking with this and, and uh, progressing in your life, right? In your career. So thanks so much, Blake. It was an honor to be here. Yeah, I appreciate Thank you coming you. in, man. Okay. What a guy. Always so nice to catch up with Connor. Thank you so much for coming on this program and telling your story um, and kicking off season two of Comfortably Unnumb in Style. Uh, and also being part of this recovery campaign 2023. As I did mention, and I've mentioned a couple times, this is recovery month and Umbrella is going big. Uh, we are getting the word of recovery out there. Um, so you'll see uh, some absolutely inspiring individuals uh, on the sides of buses in Victoria and on our social media campaign. Um, I'll be bringing in more folks onto this podcast as well as the weeks go on here. Um, this is a great time to talk about the world of recovery um, and to have those conversations. Recovery is possible. Um, you know, we see it every day and uh, it's something never to lose sight of that, you know, um, people can make a change, you know, if, if they work hard at it and, uh, you know, hopefully the supports are out there. We're definitely out there. And, and I'm sure if you're listening in other cities that there are good supports out there that are, are you know, um, going to help you get you on uh, your recovery journey and, and hopefully help keep you there. Um, so as far as this podcast is concerned, we are going to continue uh, to roll forward here. In two weeks' time, we're going to have another amazing individual on uh, to tell his story. Um, in the meantime, um, please spread the word about this cast. We would love to have as many people listening as we can, and uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, it'll be uh, still as nice and sunny as it is today. All right. From Victoria, British Columbia, my name is Blake Anderson. See you soon. Mm-hmm.